Welcome back to Driving Theology. Fortunately, it's going to be a little bit of breathing hard theology this morning. Just had to run back in and grab something I had forgotten. So, yeah, anyway, this is, uh, dude, what day is this? This is something like October 4th. It's a Wednesday morning. I'm on my way to work, just like every other Wednesday, uh, talking to you. It's been a uh, just an interesting week. Um, of course, you know, it's been interesting enough with all the Trump drama, but now we've got something that's eclipsed even Trump. And Trump has, has remained to stay somewhat uh, tolerable through it, which is admirable, really. Uh, the Las Vegas massacre, they're calling it, um, in which apparently a single shooter began firing from the 32nd floor of a hotel that he rented rented the room, he stayed in the room, uh, into a crowd of some 22,000 uh, concert goers. It was an outdoor concert apparently in the fairgrounds there in Las Vegas, just off the strip. And he had something like 10 automatic rifles and uh, fully loaded. And he began to just shoot into the crowd killed. So far, 59 people uh, have been, uh, have died from their wounds. 59. Which is horrible. Just a horrible, horrible incident. Of course, now it's reignited. Not that it ever really goes down completely, but the gun control laws and the, the, uh, call it are I wanted to say the IRA because sometimes it seems like a, a terrorist organization but it's anyway the the gun lobby it'll come to me in a minute you know Charlton Heston and all those guys uh, anyway it's reignited about a bunch of that talk about how we need better better screening, uh, fewer assault rifles on the market, automatic weapons I believe are already illegal and if, if this guy did indeed have automatic weapons he had them illegally. <laughs> um, just a horrible, horrible thing. And uh, so I suppose that happened on August 2nd maybe. August 1st or August 2nd in the States. Uh, must have been a Sunday night that it happened, so it was still in the weekend. Probably a Sunday night, yeah. Anyway, uh, doesn't seem to have been racially or, so far as we know, religiously or even politically motivated. 
far as we know, there was no more motivation. I'm sure they'll continue to look into that. And we will guess at a motivation of some kind at some point. But so far, it just seems like a, a crazy man who plotted, a crazy able man uh, who plotted and carried out just a vicious attack just because. Um, and this is... Uh, also reignited the talk on what is terrorism and what is not and why do Americans seem so reluctant to call their own uh, killers terrorists and, and so quickly to call anybody who's a Muslim a terrorist and so that you know that debate has also uh, come back and anyway it's just all kind of kind of nuts um, but I just want to say, um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry for all the people who are who are dealing with loss. I have a an old classmate, Eddie Bartot, who uh, has lost a, a cousin who worked in the school system that I used to uh, that I grew up in, in Gallup, New Mexico. Lots of other people, I'm sure, will discover some other, somehow, connections to, to people who were there. Um, and yeah, I, uh, death is a horrible thing. Death is a, is a very horrible, nasty thing, whether it comes slowly, whether it comes, you know, from age, whether it comes violently like this. Death is, is never a positive experience. I, I really, I really, I really disbelieve anybody who who talks about death in a positive way. That anything positive uh, comes from death. Not at least from our human hands. I, I think God, even though death was not His original intent for us, I don't think we were ever originally intended to experience death. I do know that God uses our death. Uh, he uses that, that, that uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, the experiences that we feel from loss. He will use that and he will glorify that and he will redeem it and reconcile everything to himself. And I'm glad that death is not the end. Uh, I'm glad that death, uh, because of Jesus, uh, Jesus's resurrection, I'm glad that death is not the end. Uh, that that we will all continue to live on, um, albeit in another existence. And my hope is in my hope is in Jesus. My hope is in Jesus for these poor souls who, while uh, celebrating life and music and some of them love during this concert that their life was so violently and so suddenly taken from them. And I pray for the uh, recovery of the, the over 500 people who were injured uh, by this atrocious act. Um, just a horrible, horrible thing. <sighs> Very sad. 
Um, yesterday, on a, on a separate note, I was uh, asked to speak in, in chapel at the university where I teach part-time, which was great. I haven't done that in a while, and I was looking forward to it because I've, you know, since the last time I've spoken in chapel, I've really been on a, a journey, and I've learned a lot of a lot about theology and things like this, and so I was excited to, to have a chance to to uh, not be given a topic and just to to go in and, and talk about things that are on my heart. And what I decided to talk about was, uh, well, I had two two topics. I had to cut it in half, so I, I just kept on the one. They were related, of course, and I was going to tie them together. But I did uh, finish the uh, first topic only. And that was uh, the idea that God is like Jesus, uh, and I think I, I, I made a lot of people scratch their head. I don't. I don't think necessarily a lot of people were ready for that message. The idea that God is like Jesus, as opposed to Jesus being like God, uh, is something that kind of messes with people's minds because on the outside it seems like it should be exactly the same, and it is, except that I believe a lot of people have misconceptions about who God is, uh, although they clearly uh, can know who Jesus is. Um, and when I say know who he is, uh, what I mean is know, know his character, that, that the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us a very good idea of Jesus's character because we see him walking and talking like a man. Uh, he is he is God in human form, and as such, he becomes far more uh, understandable uh, understandable for us. Right? We can we can we can understand him, and and we can emulate him because what he does as a man, we are able to do as men. What he, what he did by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um. And so knowing who Jesus is, I feel is a much simpler task, right? Uh, because of his human form and because of the, the details uh, which were written about him by the four writers of, of the Gospels. Uh, we can know who Jesus is and who, what he cared for and, and, and how he reacted to certain things. and. Uh, we can know his character. We can know that he had integrity, he, that he cared for the poor and the weak and the helpless. Uh, he cared for the um, for the foreigner. He cared for the other. Um, and he also didn't do that from the position of somebody of power. He did that from the position of a poor, homeless, itinerant teacher. Uh, who wandered the countryside, uh, wandered the countryside, uh, healing and, and embracing uh, and bringing people near, uh, by coming near to them. So we know that Jesus was a man of integrity. So when he said, forgive your neighbors, he didn't say that while, uh, uh, while hating his neighbors. He said that and then he went to the cross to prove his integrity. So what he said, he backed up by his actions. 
And so anybody that reads the story of Jesus and sees something disingenuous there, uh, I feel is, is bringing a lot of uh, uh, preconceived notions and baggage into the, into the conversation because just to read the text, you wouldn't get that. You have to make a lot of assumptions. Um, and so who Jesus is, Simple thing, very simple. Um, may not be easy to take necessarily, but the knowledge of who Jesus is is very simple. And the fact that he rose from the dead uh, solidifies his divinity. We know that he is the Son of God. Um, mainly by the fact that the Holy Spirit um, will assure us the, of that internally. He, the Holy Spirit tells us that truth. Um, but also because of the, the miracles that he did, we know that he is, he is the uh, Son of God. Uh, and so, um, So knowing who God is, is a fairly simple thing. Uh, sorry, knowing who Jesus is, is a fairly simple thing. Uh, if you read the text as it's presented. But you don't have the same ability reading the Old Testament to figure out who God is because there are too many contradicting accounts of the character of God. And they are too many. There are too many contradicting accounts. And so teasing out the precise character of God is, is a very complex thing using just the Old Testament, right? Very complex. Uh, and when you look at the scriptures closely, you will, you will see some insurmountable, uh, uh, insurmountable obstacles unless you shift your paradigm, right? Uh, or you believe that God is schizophrenic, that he has a multiple, multiple personalities, that one minute he says he's full of steadfast love, but the next minute uh, he's an angry tyrant commanding people to kill babies and to show no mercy. You know, they can't really both be true. And so knowing who Jesus is, is a fairly simple task, but knowing who God is is quite difficult uh, unless you be believe he is discernible at face value in the Old Testament. Now by paradigm shift, um, what I mean is uh, you have to determine to what degree and what the nature of the Old Testament being God-breathed is. What does that mean when, when, when Paul says to Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed? Um, what, is, what does that mean exactly? And uh, I know there's several different concepts that, that can come out of this. Uh, people have taken God-breathed to mean dictated, written that God used humans just as uh, as flesh and bone printers to write exactly what he wanted to say, and that stands for the entire scriptures. Uh, on the other hand, 
not on the other hand, but on the far other uh, spectrum, uh, humans were just guessing at who God was, and they wrote down some stuff, but there's no way to know, uh, there's no way to, to determine that God actually told them to write that. They just wrote what they thought, and so what we have is, you know, just just a bunch of human opinions about who God is. So those are the two extremes, I think. Or it's down, downright lies, right? Uh, I suppose you could put that in there, too. Uh, I find myself in the center somewhere of that. Uh, I don't believe it's downright lies. And I don't believe, and therefore, I don't believe that anyone dishonestly wrote about God, as far as I can tell. So I do believe that God breathed the scriptures, as Paul says, that all scriptures God breathed. But, um, I don't believe it was dictated. And so, I believe that humans, uh, God inspired them uh, to write about him, and yet, and yet, uh, sometimes they got it right, and sometimes they got it wrong, but because God is a God who bears the sins of his people and the misconceptions of his people in order to stay near to them, in order to lead them to accept the Messiah when he comes, uh, God allowed that to happen. He, he, he allowed the misconceptions of himself to, to come in so that those who really seek him in the scriptures would find him. Those who really seek him, who, who try to uncover the treasure trove of truth in the Old Testament. But there is some, there is some soil covering it up. There is some stuff that needs to be removed. But God knew all that would happen and he allowed Bible to be written as it has been written anyway, um, because that's just who he is. He's, he is a God who ties himself to his people for better or for worse, uh, and isn't worried about his reputation uh, so much as worried about the salvation of his people. Uh, now another, something else just came to me. Um, Adam okay Adam was was made by God uh, and he was made from dirt from soil Some people call it clay day uh, uh, dirt or clay or whatever you want to call it Adam was made of that but he wasn't alive from that even though God made him, he didn't come alive until God breathed into him. Until the breath of God entered into his nostrils, entered into his lungs, did Adam come alive. And so perhaps this is what Paul is saying, that, that the scriptures by themselves are, are dead. All scripture is is just soil. It's just words. It's and it really has nothing unless God breathes life into it. And 
God has breathed life into it. All scripture has been, in other words, given life through the breath of God. And the breath of God sometimes is known as the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit uh, is Yahweh uh, in, in spirit form. Just as Jesus is Yahweh uh, in bodily form. Um, and so perhaps what we're seeing Paul talk about is that the scriptures through the revelation by the Holy Spirit of Jesus and the truth of Jesus that that revelation is what has breathed the life into scripture that it has come alive because of the revelation of Christ um, I don't know because usually we take this to mean something completely different. This inspire, right? Um, usually we 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 read it read it as created by. But if it meant created by, why didn't Paul say created by? Why didn't Why didn't Paul say all Scripture is written by God? Why didn't he say that? Would have been very understandable. Why did he choose to use this image of God breathed, which the the, the Hebrew, uh, the Jews of the time, uh, would have connected to Adam receiving the breath of life? God breathed life into him. I don't know. This is interesting. Um, I never thought about it along those lines until now. Something that came to me. Uh, okay, I'm going to switch gears. Uh, so, anyway, I didn't go into all that completely yesterday when I was speaking in chapel. I just talked about how I think uh, God uh, is exactly like Jesus. So, you use Jesus to figure out where God is in the Old Testament. Uh, he is the He is the shovel, if you will, to help you uncover true image of God in the Old Testament. One of those places turned up in Jeremiah. First, I'd like to actually memorize it. I think it's wonderful. Uh, where Jeremiah uh, pinpointed, he, he, he nailed, if you will, the, uh, the true nature of God in one sentence. Now, I think he, he may have been a little bit off in other places, but in this particular place, he, he got exactly right um, who God is uh, in a way that, that Jesus would be proud of, you know, a, a description that I would be proud to attribute to Jesus uh, without any reservations. Uh, and that is that God is steadfast love uh, and full of justice and mercy. Uh, and that, I think, God, uh, Jesus, I think that describes God perfectly because it um, matches up well with the integrity uh, and the heart that we find uh, Jesus displaying in the in the Gospels. Yeah, and so 
another thing that, that came to me this morning in those kind of moments between, uh, you know, waking, sleep, sleeping, sleeping and waking and kind of those weird twilight, you know, dusk, I, dawn, yeah, dawn moments as your brain's kind of waking up. Where two places where in the New Testament that talks about the sword, right? And actually one, one other is coming up, the sword of the spirit that, that Paul talks about. Uh, I, I want to say, I'm not going to say, but I think it's in the latter part of Romans where it talks about the uh, armor of God. And therefore put on the full armor of God. Uh, Anyway, the two the two places are uh, the the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to to separate bone from marrow and soul from spirit, is one. And then the other one is Revelation, and I can't even close to quote that, but it talks about how the Lamb uh, of God was on the horse, and from his mouth uh, came a sword. Uh, in other words, his tongue was a sword. Uh, and then you take that at the sword of the spirit, uh, talked about by Paul. And to me, you get a a depiction of uh, the spirit is the, the sword in these cases is not a literal sword, not a not a violent sword. As much as it's talking about uh, words, right? The words that come from our mouth are able to 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 bring clarity. I think is the word that I would get from the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a it's a clarifying thing, and when. When, when the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, when, when we talk by the Spirit, the words we bring forth are clear. They are clarifying. Uh, they, are, they are able to uh, do things uh, and clarify things that otherwise are um, unclear and unclarifiable. And uh, a lot of people think that you know, in Revelation, Jesus is going to come back and ride his his horse, and from his mouth is going to come a sword, and he is going to way lay uh, way lay waste, way laced, going to lay waste to the nations. He's going to kill many people, and then many people take that literally, that physically Jesus is going to be killing people uh, by the by his his sword like tongue, which again, if you use the Gospels. You're never going to find that Jesus in the Gospels. He's just not there. Um, however, you do find a Jesus who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is able to speak by the authority of God and clarify what's going on in the world. Um, when, when Jesus speaks by uh, the power of the Spirit, that becomes a... Clarifying object in the world, um, he clarifies uh, law from grace. Um, he clarifies uh, good and e good from evil. For example, uh, he can clarify uh, 
anything. And we also have this power, right? To, to clarify the world for people, to make things known and knowable. Uh, and, and, and as such, to bring, um, what I would say, comfort to people, right? Um, by doing so. Anyway, again, that's just a thought I had this morning. I don't know where it came from. It'd be great if it was from the Spirit, and uh, time will tell. Um, but, you know, using Jesus as your uh, your hermeneutic, uh, it, it's hard to, it's hard to um, lay that hermeneutic over Revelation and say, yes, Jesus is going to be killing people. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, however, he he may be laying waste to our uh, mistaken notions and our false idols uh, and our horrible doctrine, uh, and even in some instance and in, in some way to the evil powers in the heavenly realms uh, that continue to exercise authority over people uh, in distributing these lies um, I do lay out uh, I do leave some some possibility for things like that to be to be happening in that case and uh, I'm starting to digress a little bit but um, those are two separate separate things that I thought I would talk about and uh, hopefully uh, I, all I talked about is how I believe that uh, God is like Jesus, that uh, Jesus helps us uh, find God in the Old Testament, that we, we have a very clear view of who Jesus is and a less clear view of God, but we can use the clear view of Jesus to discover clearly where God is in the Old Testament and where truth is talked about him and where people have misconceptions. If I get a chance, I would like to go back to chapel again and do a, a part two, uh, taking this better view of who God is and using using that view of, of Jesus and his character, this clear view of the character of God, uh, Yahweh, both, in, uh, both as Yahweh himself, as the body form of Yahweh and the spirit form of Yahweh, laying that over the Bible and understanding more clearly uh, what God is saying in the Bible and what the Bible is trying to say to us. Uh, finding that the true messages meant, not the messages that we just uh, take off the surface, that we cherry pick, uh, which tend to um, fit our notions of what we want God to be saying. That we can. That's one reason you can make the, the Old Testament and even parts of the New Testament uh, fit just about any belief system or doctrine. Um, and then the second part would be to take take this new view of, of Jesus and of God and of the Bible and apply that to the world around us. You know, what's going on in the world around us? What is, what is this new, clearer view of the person uh, that God is, the character that, the true character that God has? How does that speak to what's going on in the world today? Uh, for example, what happened in Las Vegas. Uh, 
what what happened uh, and is happening in the Middle East, uh, what what is happening, uh, you know, all over the world, whether it's uh, economically or politically, uh, or religiously, uh, or scientifically, or whatever it is. How does this truer picture of the character of God help us to make sense of our world uh, or God's world? And I'm going to leave it right there, and uh, maybe we'll talk about that next week. Um, maybe I'll be able to talk through some ideas so that I will be ready if and when the call comes to, to go back to chapel and talk again. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.